from beautiful downtown Sacramento, it's time for Beach Blanket Fort Bingo! Beach Blanket Fort Bingo! Beach Blanket This is Spaz, and you have tuned into Beach Blanket Fort Bingo. Got a special episode for you today an interview with Mr. John Borak. He's a music journalist and author, and he has just released the book Shake Some Action 2.0. And we're going to talk about that book, Power Pop, and so much more. Is this book a sequel? Is it a remix? I don't know. You're going to find out. So stick around here. You're listening to Beach Blanket Fort Bingo! I first met John Borak nearly three decades ago through our mutual friend David Bash. Since we all shared a love of music, particularly power pop, we would all end up at the same shows in L.A. and Orange County. While John and I didn't spend ample amounts of time record shopping together, I learned a lot about the things that he loved through many conversations and by reading his reviews and Facebook posts throughout the years. Musically speaking, John and I don't always see eye to eye, but we don't let our slightly different tastes in music interfere with our friendship. Basically, because we both have a love and passion for music that we enjoy sharing with others. I've jealously watched from afar as he wrote loads of reviews for Goldmine Magazine, wrote a book about John Lennon, compiled an Elvis Costello tribute CD for Spider Pop, and so much more. But in 2007, he released a book entitled Shake Some Action, The Ultimate Power Pop Guide, which has gone on to be the definitive word in power pop. Some time ago, former Not Lame Records leader Bruce Brodeen encouraged John to update the book, and after a long wait... Shake Some Action 2.0, the 200 Greatest Power Pop Albums 1970 to 2017 is now here. But don't file your original book away, folks, because there are just enough changes in the new book to make both of them essential additions to your bookshelf. I was able to chat to John about Shake Some Action 2.0 and all things Power Pop. I'm proud of all the work he's done, and I'm sure that he's bound to satisfy so many Power Pop fans' appetites with this book. And with this being the age of social media, I'm sure he's going to have to deal with some power poop heads, too. Thankfully, he's one of the few Power Pop aficionados that you can actually trust. So enjoy this interview with John Borak here at the Blanket Fort, and prepare to shake some action.
Before we talk about Shake Some Action 2.0, can you give listeners a bit of history in regards to your career in music journalism? Well, I've been writing professionally for about 32 years now. I started with Goldmine Magazine uh, back in the mid-80s, writing music reviews, and then went on to write for a number of other publications as well. Uh, I've written liner notes, um, similar to what you've done for a lot of different CDs um, over the years, including the uh, Rhino Records Poptopia series that came out back in the back in the 90s. And gosh, what else? Well, I, I wrote the first edition of, of this book, Shake Some Action, The Ultimate Power Pop Guide. That came out in 2007. And then I had a book titled John Lennon, Life is What Happens. That was released in 2010. And then this book now in 2018. And then uh, 2019, there will be another uh, Beatles-related book coming out. So, And I'm still writing for Goldmine Magazine, both for the print version as well as their website, goldminemag.com. Do you remember the first time that music had a profound effect on you and, and what song or artist that was? Well, it's always been the Beatles, um, even from when I was very young. And I remember the first 45 my dad ever bought me. This was back in 1967. It was All You Need Is Love and Baby, You're a Rich Man. And I remember him buying that for me in the orange and yellow Capitol Records swirl label. And from there, I just wanted to get my hands on every Beatles uh, release and every group that sounded like the Beatles. And, you know, that went on into the mid-70s. And then I went into high school and started listening to more AOR sort of stuff like Foreigner Sticks, Kansas, Journey, Boston. That one monolithic group, Kansas, Foreigner, Journey, Sticks, Boston. Um <laughs> That everyone listened to when they were in high school in the mid-70s. Gosh, if you didn't listen to Boston's first album or Frampton Comes Alive, you know, you you weren't a real music fan. So I listened to that and then went into college, and that's when sort of New Wave was starting to hit back in the late 70s, early 80s. And that kind of brought me full circle back into back into power pop, you know, Beatles-sounding type stuff and groups like Shoes and 2020 and The Beat and uh, all those groups we know and love. I wish there was an easy well, when did you first become aware of the term power pop? Because I remember buying these records, but I don't remember exactly when I realized that there was a term for it. I mean, I would say maybe 79 or so is when I first realized that some of the stuff that was very beatly was being called power pop. I would say late seventies, early eighties. Um, you know, I, I had a book, uh, and I'm trying to remember what it was called. It might've been the encyclopedia of new wave or, or, or something like that had a picture of madness on, on the cover. I, I remember that. Oh, the new music by Glenn a Baker. Okay. Yeah. So that was the book that, you know, first brought the term power pop to my attention. That would have been, like I said, late seventies, early eighties. And I'm like, wow, this, this is all stuff that I seem to like. Okay. I, I guess what I like is called power pop. I didn't know it had a label, you know, but uh, boy, I, I, I sure like it. And, uh, power pop. Yeah. All right, cool. And then it wasn't until later that it 
became sort of a dirty word that no musician wanted to be associated with, but that's a whole other story. much maligned genre power pop really took hold in the late 70s and has continued to excite fans of the genre even 40 years down the line yet it's also divided many fans as well it seems that everybody has their own definition of power pop although each of those definitions are very similar to each other now without asking for a definition of power pop thank you for not doing that <laughs> why do you think it is so difficult to define something that at its core is so simple? Uh, because I think there's a lot of offshoots of, of power pop. Um, you know, when you, you know, if, if you were to look at my upcoming book, right, the shake some action, the 200 greatest power pop albums, in 1970 to 2017, if you were to take power pop at its literal definition that many people give it, which is, um, ringing guitars, hand claps, beetle harmonies, uh, you know, that sort of thing. Full albums of that, there's not a lot. I mean, there's, there's a good number, but there's not 200 that, you know, that are solely power pop, at least not that are good. <laughs> um, so, you know, it sort of branches off into artists like Emmett Rhodes, is he power pop? Well, really, no, he's not powerful, but gosh, he has that Beatlesque edge. So yeah, I guess he's power pop. Jellyfish. Well, are they really power pop? Well, they're powerful, but do they jangle? No. Well, but there's harmonies and there's great melodies. Yeah, they're power pop. So, you know, a lot of, I guess, for lack of a better term, what is called melodic rock or melodic pop gets lumped into power pop. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it's different things to different people, and but there's room for a lot of different definitions and a lot of different um, artists, I think. Well, what inspired you to write the original Shake Some Action book? And how long was the timeline from the moment you started writing it to the day you received a copy of the finished book in your hands? It was a long damn time, Spaz. <laughs> it was a real long time. I think uh, Bruce Brodeen from, well, back then it was Not Lame, hey. Bruce Brodeen from Not Lame contacted me and said, you should write a book about power pop. Um, and then I don't know who thought up the whole list idea. It might have been me because I, I realized that people people like to read lists and argue about lists and, and make their own lists. And um, so I thought, well, you know, maybe in top 200 power pop albums, I started throwing something together. And that would have been the late 90s, uh, would have been right after my, my daughter Kayla was born. And you know, then three years after she was born, my son, Michael, was born. And so I'm trying to uh, work a full time job and be a father and getting up for those middle of the night feedings with the babies and, you know, that sort of thing. So I would work on it when I could. But there was really no deadline. So it just it took a long time. It took about, gosh, from the time I began writing to the time that I got the finished copy in my hand, probably about seven or eight years. Long time. Was it really just our last good night when I saw the light and I know that you've been telling lies? Oh no, not me, I don't wanna cry. You could talk about it all night 
The book has become a guide for those who love the power pop genre and has inspired many to search for copies of the albums and, and uh, songs that are on the list. How does that make you feel? Isn't that really what you set out to do in the first place? Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's like you always say, Spaz, um, if you can inspire one person or, or a couple of people or a number of people to get into some really good music, that's what the whole goal is. I mean, obviously, no one's in this to make money. Uh, no one's in this for any sort of fame. Uh, you know, it's more infamy at this point, probably, that we all have as being power bot journalists and whatnot. But, um, you know, you do it because you're passionate about the music and you, want, and you want to turn other people on to it who you think might like it. That's why we do what we do. I mean, that's, that's the whole motive behind it. And, and, and to, you know, to spotlight a lot of the artists who otherwise, you know, may sort of toil in obscurity unfairly, of course, uh, because, you know, people might not hear this if, you know, people like you and I and, and Mike Lidskin and, and other people who do what we do didn't play it or write about it or, or talk about it. You know, it's, it's to get the word out about some great music and, and some great artists who are making that music. Inevitably, there's going to be those people that challenge your opinions. And while social media can be vicious today, did you have to deal with any of that type of negativity back then? Oh, sure. My, well, my wife challenges my opinions daily. She did it about five minutes ago, actually. Uh, but that's not music related. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, people, I've read stuff on the internet, you know, Borak's full of crap. Uh, Borak doesn't know what power pop is. One guy said he wanted to punch me in the throat. I thought that was a little extreme. Um, you know, why is this album not in there? Why is this album in there? Why isn't this ranked higher? Why that should be ranked lower. That's not power pop. This is power pop. And that's just the musicians. talking, yeah. <laughs> right? It's just my mom who was talking. No, um, <laughs> no, but it, I mean, and some of it does come from musicians. I mean, I got some of the nastiest responses after the book came out from musicians, you know, which, which just kind of blew me away, but, um, that's a whole nother radio show, uh, or podcast that we could do, but yeah, I mean, and, and, and the whole thing is at the end of the day, it's just one person's opinion. It's, I'm not saying these are the top 200 albums of all time and you must agree with me and you must go purchase them all now and love them like I do. No, that's not what it's about. It's an opinion. And if people, enjoy what I do or like what I write or the way I write about it, then maybe they'll have the same opinion or maybe I'll turn them on to music they might not have heard before. If they don't share my opinion, that's fine too. You know, boy, if everybody thought alike, this world would be really, really boring. somebody who compiled a list on their blog of every song or at least a song from every album that you had listed in that book? Yes. Someone, uh, I believe they were from Spain or Italy. I don't recall, but they, they put, um, files up 
So they, they took one song from each of the albums in the top 200 and made, I think, eight different um, CDs that you could download illegally and, uh, and uh, have for your very own. Um, you know, and, you know, stuff like that is, is, is kind of nice, you know, in one respect. But of course, we'd all rather that people pay the artists for the music as opposed to downloading it illegally. But, you know, to, to see people doing things like that and, um, you know, making their own lists based on mine and, and, you know, sort of, you know, Hey, if, if it, if it helps get the word out there about the good music, I'm, I'm all for it. It's no sort of, of competition at all. I, mean, I don't feel any competition with, with anyone. I mean, everyone sort of has their own niche in this power pop genre. You know, Ken Sharp writes great books. He's a great interviewer. That's his forte. And he does an awesome job at it. You know, folks like, uh, you and Mike Lidskin, Adam Waltermeyer, Michael McCartney, you all have great radio shows, you know, none, uh, no, no two of those are exactly the same. They all complement each other and it's all working toward, toward the same goal is, you know, let's, let's hear some great music. You mentioned Ken Sharp. He's, he has a bunch of great power pop interview books. Jordan Oaks recently released a book compiling all the issues of yellow pills. Bruce Bodine has released a series of books However, Shake Some Action remains a definitive look at the genre, but it works and complements all the other books. Are you surprised that there haven't been more books about this subject? You know, not really. I think there's been just enough. I mean, and again, with everyone coming at it from a different angle, Bruce comes at it with sort of this wild eyed passion that uh, sometimes I, I, I wish I could have, but I, I can't always, uh, Jordan comes at it with, you know, a great knowledge of power pop, uh, especially obscure stuff and, and seventies, um, and eighties stuff. And he comes at it with a really sharp sense of humor, which everyone loves. So again, everyone has their sort of niche, even in the writing genre, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm not surprised there's there's not more. I mean, there's room for maybe some books on um, certain acts. You know, there's a great book that's just come out uh, about Chris Bell uh, from Big Star. There's been a number of really good books on Big Star. Ken's written a book on raspberries. Mary Donnelly wrote a book about shoes, uh, the, the band, not the footwear. Um, <laughs> just in case people don't know power pop and are listening to this. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, there might be room for that end, but you know, as far as the genre as a whole, I think, you know, what's been done so far is a pretty good encapsulation, but you know, things can always be up, be updated also. Yeah. I mean, and we can't forget Dan Matavina's bad finger book. Oh yeah. That was, that's very sad. I mean, that whole thing, the whole bad finger saga is, is just really, really sad, but yeah, Dan's, Dan's a great writer. And, you know, I, I don't mean to leave anyone out. I'm sure there's other folks who've written books on power pop artists that I'm leaving out or even on power pop that I'm leaving out. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of great stuff out there. But I think there's, you know, there's room for everyone because so many people come at it from a different angle or with a different point, point of view. If you love the music, you'll probably be interested in a number of these books. So you Jim Rowe and I were originally going to put together an encyclopedia of power pop uh, and basically, uh, you know, like 
probably from the same angle you are, like maybe the top 200 power pop bands, but that eventually evolved into pop sided. Oh, okay. Yeah. Pop sided was a great magazine. I still have all my old issues here. Well, that's sort of where this pop journalism thing kind of evolved with magazines like pop sided and amplifier and oddities. And of course, yellow pills, which kind of kickstarted the whole thing back in the early nineties. Um, I think that got, that sort of got everyone back into not only power pop music, but sort of reading about power pop music. And it was, you know, it was an exciting time back then. Just, you know, so many great bands and stuff to read and, and concerts to go to and Poptopia and the early IPOs and, and all these other festivals that, that were taking place. It was, you know, a very exciting time to be a pop band. Kind of like a star. Some Action 2.0. Can you let us know the difference between this and the original Shake Some Action book? Is it essentially a remix of the original books or a sequel or both? Uh, yes. <laughs> it, uh, it, it is. Uh, well, it's heavier than the first book. I'm holding I'm holding a, a pre, pre-release copy in my hand right now. It's definitely heavier. Um, and it, and it's, um, it's uh, a regular sort of book size and, and it's about, it's over 400 pages, which is something I'm, I'm really proud of. Um, but it's similar, but different. So the first book had the top 200 power pop albums. Uh, this has the same, has the top 200 power pop albums, but we're, I've treated it sort of like a billboard chart where in the past 10 years, since the first book came out, um, albums have moved up the chart or slid down the chart or fallen off the chart. And then you know, there's about uh, nearly 60 new albums on the top or in the top 200 that have replaced uh, ones that were previously in the top 200. So it's different in that respect. Um, I also have um, quotes from almost every artist um, who has an album in, in here, of course, accepting the ones who have passed on. Um, of course, some folks who have passed on are actually on here because this took me a little while to write. Um, so, you know, folks like, uh, Tommy Keen, rest his soul. He has a quote in here that he, he gave me bef- before he sadly passed away, um, last year. But, um, you know, there's new quotes from everybody, uh, who is in the top 200 and, you know, just kind of going on, uh, on a little, a little bit of a, um, sidetrack here, just, talking to people and corresponding with, with people who have made some of my favorite music ever, you know, deep down, I'm still a fan of this music. Uh, I don't look at it as sort of this aloof, you know, from, from this sort of aloof journalistic perspective. So when Prescott Niles from the Knack calls me and, and talks to me for 45 minutes about get the Knack or when Emmett Rhodes calls my cell phone, unexpectedly and, you know, talks about his first record or Joey Mullen from Badfinger sends me an email. Eric Carmen sends me, you know, this really long quote, you know, that that's thrilling for someone like me who loves this music. So, uh, all, all new quotes, um, from the artists who are involved, that's a difference. Um, I'd like to think my writing has evolved a bit over the years. So a lot of the entries, even if they were in the first book have been rewritten, um, either partially or completely. 
So that's different as well. Every time I see you, oh, I wish I could believe you. Do you ever mean a thing you say? You lied, I tried to overlook your careless way of love. And when you call, I never turned you down. Too late, too late. And then in addition to the top 200, um, the book also includes all of my top 10 lists, because, of course, we all love to do year-end lists, all of us journalist folks and others, from 1996 to 2017. So I dug up all those old lists, and some of them make me think, wow, I really missed that record. That's a good record. And uh, others make me think, what the hell was I thinking? Why do I have that in my top 10? Um, so those are all in there as well. And then... Um, also sort of a, a mini encyclopedia of a lot of reviews I've written for Goldmine and other um, outlets I've written for over the past 15 years, uh, album reviews, CD reviews, uh, DVD reviews, those are in there as well. And then the last thing in there is sort of a postscript that I wrote uh, about my dad and music. Um, so you know, the thing that's different, there's not a lot of outside, um, there, there aren't a lot of outside contributors to this book like there were in the first book. Uh, I, ha I have a few quotes from groups um, I wasn't able to get a hold of uh, by people who are fans of the, of the group. Or if I knew somebody was a huge fan of the group, I just let them write, write about it. That happened like once or twice. And of course, you wrote about... Um, I think it was the Jags. Yeah. And so that's that. So that's in there. Uh, David Bash gave me a little quote about a group called Stars on Mars from Sweden, who I was unable to make contact with. But, um, you know, that's the main difference. There's not a lot of outside um, folks involved in this one. It's pretty much just me. But, uh, you know, there is a lot of stuff people wrote for the first book uh, where I did have, have a lot of outside contributors didn't make it in that book. But I think if you order from uh, Bruce or do the pre-order for the book, I believe a lot of those files are um, are are being used as sort of a, a bonus to give to people. And it's kind of a neat perspective to see what people were thinking 10 years ago about power pop music, because I'm sure their opinions have changed like mine have changed. But that's basically how it's how it's done. of more titles was dropping the titles from the first book a difficult task yes i mean i went over this top 200 with a fine-tooth comb probably about oh, know, four or five hundred times <laughs> it seemed like i was uh well maybe i should move that one up a little bit or move that one down okay i took that one out now i should really put that one back in you know that sort of thing 
there is a list in here of of the albums that that did get dropped out of the top 200 uh, and where they were ranked last time in case people want to refer to those uh, as well. Um, and then there's also a, a chart of where everything ranked um, in this book uh, as opposed to last book. So you kind of look at it again, like sort of a billboard chart. Oh, that moved up from number 74 to number 40. And, you know, it doesn't mean it's a better album. It, it just means it's hit me differently in those, you know, in the, in the 10 years that, have passed since I wrote the first book, but you know, in, in no way does the do the albums that dropped out of the top 200. That doesn't mean that they're not worthy or or not good or you know. Well, in some cases, it it, it sort of does, but <laughs> won't, we won't talk about that. Uh, in in 90 99 percent of the cases, it's more that you know I I think I like this album better uh, that that I that I put in there, and then there's some where I thought you know, that's probably not so much of a power pop album strictly. So I can put something else in there to take its place. Like, <clears throat> excuse me. And I'm just using this as an example, looking at uh, this list here. Um, oh, Barone and Mastro, Richard Barone and James Mastro. They a great album called Nuts and Bolts. It was in the last album, but it's more of an acoustic record and not really power pop. So that's one of the ones that got dropped. Um, E-I-E-I-O. A uh, great band out of uh, Chicago area had an album called That Love Thing, which was really cool. But again, that you know, now that I look back at it, that's more sort of um, kind of alt country with a with a with a tinge of pop, you know, things things like that, um, you know. And then a few others, you know, where you know I could put people like Blondie and the Go Go's and XTC and Rick Springfield in this book because they do sort of fit, but. You know, they're not in here um, in, in the top 200 because I wanted to save room for, for those that I guess were, were or that maybe held truer to the stricter definition of power pop and maybe were a little bit less well known. God, I don't read a book. God, I don't beat a book. I know just what you are. Don't push your love too far. God, I don't touch a book. Not just another girl. I get in touch with you. I only wish I knew that. When you released the first book, did you ever think that you'd be releasing this follow-up? No, no, I had no idea. That's why I called it the ultimate power pop guide because I figured we're never going to do another one, you know, because who knows what's going to happen in, in 10 years, you know, you never know. So I knew I was going to keep writing and I knew I was, you know, going to keep in, enjoying writing about the power pop genre, but I never thought, you know, one day we'll have a sequel. It, it just sort of evolved when so much good music kept coming out and, and, you know, it keeps coming out. I mean, there's, you know, we've cut this off at the end of 2017 because you had to draw the line somewhere, but it, you know, if I were to rewrite this book, I'd already have another couple of records that would be in here from 2018, Danny Wilkerson's record that would certainly be in here and it would rank pretty damn high. Um, same with Bill Lloyd's new record. I might replace what I have in here for Bill Lloyd with his new one because his new one is wonderful. You know, just a lot of great, great stuff. So it, it's hard to figure out where to stop, but I, I sort of had to stop. And then, you know, who knows, 10, 10 years, maybe there'll be a volume three. You never know. Well, what was the criteria for the albums that made the top 200 list? And how difficult 
was it to actually rank them in order? And I'm specifically really referring to maybe the top 20. That must have been the most difficult batch. It is. I mean, it's like it's like any list. You know, it's also subjective. And it's all how albums hit me at the, you know, at the uh, moment when I'm writing about them. The criteria was that they had to have been released between 1970 and 2017. Um, and that they had to have sort of that, what I call this melodic aesthetic to it that people associate with power pop. Um, you know, it, and, and it's kind of difficult to, to pinpoint, but I think we all know it when we hear it. Um, so those, those were the only two really, uh, criteria that I had, um, as far as the top 20, yeah, it it was really difficult. I mean, the whole thing was difficult, but like you said, especially the top 20, because, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I, I sort of, uh, switched around the, um, rankings on a daily basis. And, um, you know, I, I think maybe this time, the top 20 might be filled with, with more records that are maybe defined as a sort of classic power pop or classically designed power pop, meaning the guitars, bass and drums are not really the, the, so much the jellyfish type of stuff. So that's why you, you find albums, um, without giving too much away, you find albums that have moved up the chart substantially like the beat and the first Tom's album and get the knack and, uh, the Plimsoll's first, uh, album, first Dwight Twilley record, you know, that, that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, it was, it was difficult. There's a lot of great music out there and there's stuff that didn't even make the top 200 the first time or the second time. That's, that's really good. I, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff, but you have to draw the line somewhere. And I, I tried to, I tried to do that as best I could. You always played the fool You always played the rule And every single story too early to focus on it yet have you considered a companion volume that would perhaps tackle singles or individual tracks that you feel define the genre best yes um actually that was going to be the the original follow-up um so it's it's funny you should mention that that was going to be the original follow-up to the first book and you know then things happened um you know family issues kids growing up ended up um writing the John Lennon book and then other things happened job wise and whatnot. And then, you know, a couple of years had passed after I had had that idea because I did start compiling certain songs. And that's when Bruce said, you know, I think it might be just time for an update of the first book because there's so much great music. And I said, yeah, we could easily do that. And, you know, let's try to make it different. I don't want people to think that this is the same book as the first book. Uh, just updated. It's, it's, it's pretty different, you know, and and it also comes with a CD. Um, 
of, of stuff by my band Pop Dudes, where I've worked with a lot of other people. I've been fortunate enough to work with a lot of really talented musicians over the years, just for fun. And then it also comes with all the bonus material I mentioned earlier and a lot of rare tracks, um, <clears throat> excuse me, from artists that are involved in the book. So, it, you know, I don't want people to think they're getting the same thing if they purchase this one. It's it's quite different. But yeah, I you know, I think after this and after the next Beatle book, I might tackle one of those um, one of those singles, uh, you know, singles and or individual tracks, because there is so much great stuff out there, uh, both from bands who made this top 200 and maybe who didn't make the top 200, you know, those, those one-off singles or those one shot album tracks where eh, the album's good, but oh my God, that one song, that's great. You know, that kind of stuff. So that, you know, that might be next. And it originally was going to be, like I said, the follow-up to the original shake some action. As you said, initial copies of the book come with a CD featuring cover versions of power pop classics. Uh, how did you go about choosing those particular songs? Uh, we threw them up all in the air, and then when they when they came crashing down, we just picked up the ones that would fit. No, um, uh, the the whole CD process was was fun, and um, actually, it's not it's not only cover versions. There's um, there's a number of originals on there as well. Um, stuff that I co-wrote, although I certainly don't consider myself a songwriter. I've been fortunate enough to do some stuff with some talented people. There's a song I wrote with Michael Carpenter, uh, who your audience would, sh would surely know an Australian power pop guru. Uh, there's another one I co-wrote with Robbie wrist. There's a few I co-wrote with Carrie who goes by Carrie compost, but his real name is Carrie Chacon. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, who is my former bandmate in receiver. And I also co-wrote one with Ken West, who was in the band receiver. So there's probably, you know, there's things there's 20, 24 tracks and a hidden bonus track. Um, one I co-wrote with Mike Simmons, which I'm sure he'd like to forget. That's the hidden bonus track. Um, <laughs> uh, um, but there, um, I'd say there's maybe about, without having the song list in front of me, eight to 10 originals and uh, 15 covers. The bulk of it is, is Mike and I, Mike Simmons and I, who, um, you know, of course, um, solo work and Sparkle Jets UK and Yorktown Lads. And, you know, it's, it's Mike and I basically just screwing around in the studio. You know, Kayla was three years old and he said, come on over, let's record some music. And I'm like, what? I've never recorded drums for anything ever in my entire life. And then we just started doing it and it just sort of went from there. And we've had tracks appear on compilations and one-offs and, and things like that. And we just thought we would compile what we consider the cream of the crop and, um, and then add stuff that I've done with other folks as well. Uh, another, um, another group that I've, I've worked with, which we just put it under the moniker pop dudes. It was, um, Torbjorn Peterson from the tour guides, uh, excellent Swedish group 
uh, wrote a song called She Is Funny in That Way. And so that ended up on there. And that's me and Torbjorn and Keith Klingensmith from The Legal Matters and Karen Bassett from The Pandoras, I think, maybe play. Yeah, she plays bass and sings background vocals. And other people might be on there as well. But yeah, it's, it's just, you know, it's really amazing to look back at, you know, I've been doing this pretty much, you know, the music thing as, as a hobby for, you know, since 2001, just kind of screwing around. And then suddenly it's like, wow, we've got a full CD and there's stuff we, we, we have to not put on it. We, we've recorded that much stuff. So it's, it, it's pretty cool. But, you know, Mike had his thoughts on what he definitely wanted on there and definitely didn't want on there. And I had my thoughts and we, we wrestled for a while, not, not literally, because that would be horrible. But uh, <laughs> um, we wrestled with the uh, ideas for a while and, you know, came, came to the conclusion that, okay, these are the 25 that we like and we think that other people like to listen to. And there's a lot of un- unreleased stuff on there as well. So that's pretty cool. Well, you've written these books. You're constantly penning music reviews. You play drums with a few different friends like Robbie Rist and, and uh, Michael Simmons. You have a family life with two great kids. You attend a lot of gigs. Now, have you had a full night's sleep in the last 20 years? Or, dare I say it, have you ever had a decent hard day's night? I've <laughs> had a lot of hard uh, hard days and hard nights, but... Um... You know, I, yeah, I, you know, and it's funny because people always mention things to me. Oh my God, you, you do so much stuff. You're, you know, cause I also volunteer a lot in my community and have a full-time job and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's when you like to do it, when you're doing stuff you like to do, and I know you can relate to this, you know, you don't really think about, I really should be sleeping more. Well, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I get enough sleep, um, Sometimes I'll nap more than I used to now that I'm getting up there in years. But um, <laughs> uh, those daytime naps, oh my gosh, they're wonderful. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, you just, you do what you do because you love to do it. And and hopefully it's not only that you love to do it, but hopefully it makes other people um, interested or, or happy as well. And, you know, it's it's always nice to get that feedback from from folks like, I really enjoy your writing or I really like that song that you recorded or, you know, thanks for reviewing my record or whatever. It's, you know, it's just, it's just always nice to hear that, you know, in whatever little that I'm doing in this genre that it's appreciated by some people. And that's, that's pretty cool. All you can ask for is, is to do what you do, enjoy doing it and hope it, you know, helps or benefits some other people as well.
that's it for this episode of Beach Blanket Fort Bingo. I'd like to thank my special guest, John Barak, for stopping by and talking about his brand new book, Shake Some Action 2.0, the 200 greatest power pop albums, 1970 to 2017. Rush out and get that. I'd like to remind you to like, comment, share, and subscribe, and help keep Beach Blanket Fort Bingo alive. Smell you later.